This is Frankly Speaking by Friends of Europe, an independent think tank with a difference. Frankly Speaking is your go-to on all things peace, security and defense. Original content, original thought. On the 7th of October, Hamas launched an attack on Israel. At the time of this recording, the death toll has reached 1,400 in Israel and more than 2,900 lives were lost in Gaza. Saturday's events and everything that has been happening since cannot be understood in a vacuum. This is a conflict that has been simmering since after World War II, when Israel was declared a state. Many actors have tried to establish peace in the region, but peace was never achieved between Israel and Palestine. I am Katerina Villanova, host of Frankly Speaking, and joining me today is Anchalvora, previous correspondent for Al Jazeera and reported for several media organizations in the Middle East. Anchal was previously based in Beirut and Delhi and is now a Brussels-based columnist at Foreign Policy and recently started writing for Politico. Anchal, welcome and thank you for thank joining you me today. Thank you for asking me to come. Um, yeah, I just, you know, at the, I think at the outset it's important that I state because this is such a divisive issue. I just want to be clear that I, my personal position is that I condemn the attack and I think there's no justification for it. And I don't think the fact that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict has not been resolved can justify the brutality of Hamas's attack on Israel and its citizens. This is considered the most ambitious operation that Hamas has uh, ever launched from Gaza and the most serious cross-border attack Israel has faced in more than a generation. Israeli intelligence is already being accused of a massive failure. What assessment do you make of the conditions that made this attack possible, both from uh, Israeli and the Hamas side? I think side? as far as the Israelis are concerned, I think they were perhaps just not looking at the right place. My personal assessment, I think, is that they, they were looking more towards the, the northern border. They were looking more towards Hezbollah and Lebanon. They were thinking that maybe a similar an attack of that magnitude I'm, I'm not sure, but an attack will likely come from that front and not from Hamas. I think they weren't looking, and uh, that may have been a mistake, and that's a mistake that Netanyahu will have to answer for, depending on how this conflict goes and however long it goes on for. Um, on Hamas's side, I think it's... Uh, over the years, we've seen increased support from Iran. We've seen increased... Uh, coordination with Iran and Hezbollah. And uh, I've lived in Beirut, and I can tell you that uh, Hezbollah is a very disciplined organization. It's also highly trained, uh, highly ideological. And uh, uh, there's enough uh, open source material out there that says that there has been significant help given from Iran and Hezbollah to Hamas. Hamas's leaders are currently, several of them in Qatar, but also in Lebanon. So. I think that support has been given. There is no clarity of an immediate trigger, but I think that has played a role. And I think the fact that Israel and Saudi Arabia were trying to uh, normalize relations has also added to concerns, could have added to concerns. I think they did among Hamas leadership that if Saudi Arabia normalizes ties with Israel, that means the Islamic world has, or at least the Sunni Islamic world has. And that could have been a factor. I think it was, could have been a factor that rattled Hamas's leadership and they went, chose this particular timing. And how do you see this uh, conflict developing and expanding beyond the borders to the, to the region? I think it's very difficult to say at the moment. Uh, of course, it's a very, very tense atmosphere. There are several fronts that could open. 
Iran's foreign minister has already said that if the situation continues to escalate in Gaza, then he won't rule out other fronts opening. Of course, it could escalate, you know, the, the, the Israel's northern border and Lebanon's southern border in uh, southern Lebanon. That's one front. That's the most tense right now. It could also escalate in southern Syria. It could be a case that other Iranian proxies and militias in different parts of the Middle East start to attack Israel or its allies. So there could be several fronts. Whether it will become a multiple front war or not, we hope not. We don't know yet. But certainly at the moment, it's quite tense, especially in Lebanon. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen has argued for Israel's right to self-defense, saying that the European Union stands with Israel. This was not a position well received by many uh, within Europe, with some accusing it of being one-sided. Uh, do you see these cracks that are starting to show within Europe across member states a reflection of the divisiveness that this conflict has created? I mean, to a certain extent, yes. I mean, you know, your friends are divided and, you know, you, I have friends in all, in, in Lebanon, in Israel, in America, on, on all sides, and I can already see, you know, their social media feed and see how divisive this issue is. And um, it's possible but I don't necessarily blame von der Leyen for siding with Israel because of the images that have come out from there and the barbarity of that attack for any at a human level to support Israel. Uh, I do think that as, as a diplomat of that stature, though, you've got to sort of manage the message you're sending out in a way that you don't seem to be, of course, supporting Hamas, but also not excluding the Palestinian people. And I think that, sh that should have been that EU's message could have been a bit more inclusive at a little bit earlier, if not the first few days. So you feel like there's, that's a balance that uh, the European Union in the figure of Ursula von der Leyen has not been struck? I don't know. If the, I, I think they, they managed it. I think they damaged control in a sense. because, And I'm, I'm not saying that in the context of von der Leyen. I'm saying that in the context of, you know, trying to... There were reports that they tried going to stop aid and then they retracted that and said that they won't stop aid. And I think... It's important to kind of to distinguish Hamas from Palestinian people. Of course, the, pe the Hamas leaders and militants are Palestinians, but that does not say that all Palestinians um, back their thinking all the way. You know, there are many layers here. So there has to sort of, you know, that distinction should have been brought out because we don't want sort of, you know, uh, what I fear is that there are two narratives here. One is that, Israel is somehow justified in dropping 6,000 bombs in a week on Gaza because of the barbarity of Hamas's attack. But these bombs are falling on Palestinian people. Uh, I think that narrative is not justified just as much as saying that because the conflict has not been resolved, Hamas was justified in, in killing Israelis and abducting Israeli kids and grandmothers. So that's not justified either. And how do you see that the, this attack by Hamas on Saturday influence the public perception of the Palestinian cause? I think cause. it has harmed it. I think that Palestinians for a very long time have had a moral uh, high ground in this conflict with the Israelis. And in a sense, they've had a moral high ground because they've been the underdog fighting a military giant. And they've been sort of, you know, asking and asking for at least, you know, for our generation. Um, and now Hamas's attack is kind of painting all Palestinians, in, in, in a way, or at least to some, as, as Hamas, which, which, is, which I don't think is correct. 
And I think it's damaged the Palestinian cause quite significantly because sympathy has tilted towards Israel. And I can understand why it has tilted towards Israel. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we, you've got to take a step back and see that, you know, Palestinians are worthy of all the sympathy as, as, as well. But at the moment, you can't think, think of that because of what Hamas has done. President Biden also expressed U.S. support for Israel. At the same time, shortly after the attacks, the Palestinian president was indicated that he will visit Moscow. Do you see this conflict turning into a proxy war by the United States and Russia? I don't know if it will turn into a proxy war by the U.S. I think the U.S. has been a major player in that conflict for a very long time and the only one that really counts. And I think there's a whole lot of talk over who could be uh, you know, whether it can, whether Russia and China can actually enter that theater. And can they, they already, I mean, China has, has, has spoken against uh, Israel's attack in Gaza. And uh, Russia has also backed, it sort of is sounding more and more like backing the Palestinians here. But over the years, they've also cultivated relationships with Israel. So there's more to this. Is it possible that China does as, you know, what it did in Saudi Arabia and Iran and became the mediator and became, you know, the, oh, I'm going to bring about peace. Uh, it is, hypothetically speaking, theoretically it's possible, but I, I don't see that happening right now. I think America is far too relevant and it's going to sort of be the major player there and the only one that really counts. And Russia and China may try, but I don't think they're going to get much space anytime soon. So you see this condemnation by China of Israel's retaliation as a natural reaction, keeping in mind that uh, Russia and China have been uh, closing their have been getting closer with their ties, and as well keeping in mind that China has also been trying to strengthen their relationship with the non-Western yeah, countries. I mean, this is certainly block competition. There is such such certainly global power competition at play here, because you know as we can see already. Uh, with the Ukraine conflict that Iran has tilted completely towards, I mean, was never, never, you know, it, it's it's always been in, in a different sphere of influence, but it's it's leaned more towards uh, Russia and China. Yeah, China has invited Iran to be a member of BRICS, and uh, Iran has been helping Russia with drones. These are very, very major developments that have taken Iran to the other side more than would, uh, more than the Western countries would be comfortable with. Uh, that has already happened. And now, you know, you've got, you, you, you certainly have these blocks forming in, in, in a much more stronger or clearer fashion where, you know, you either have a US-EU block and then on the other, in the other side, you've got this Russia, China, Iran block. So uh, it could be, it's possible that it expands, but I think I think I think we're in uh, I think we're in un uncharted territory here. I think we've, we we and it's too too soon to say. I think we've got to wait. Primarily, the reason I say that is because the politics of the Middle East and at least Israel and Palestine is so deeply embedded with the uh, American uh, foreign policy that I would find it very difficult to believe that you know America is not going to be a player. <laughs> but so for now, you don't see that Russia and China entering the conflict, even though just in terms of rhetoric will be a decisive factor? 
in I, how the conflict will play, play out? I don't think they'll enter the conflict. I mean, I don't think, if, how, how do you mean, like militarily or politically? They already seem to be backing. Yes, for now it's just been in terms of rhetoric of uh, criticizing. Do you see, but yes, moving forward, do you see they will uh, explicitly provide military aid, uh, weapons, supplies, you know, etc.? I think it's really too early to say. It's really too early to say. What we do know is that there is already co that sort of military cooperation between Iran and Russia is already there, and Iran does has helped Hamas in the past. So there is that access already there. We don't know how big this is going to be and whether, you know, because what you're saying sort of sounds a, a, a lot bigger than even a regional conflict because that becomes a global conflict. So I think maybe we can wait a bit longer to discuss that, in my view. And um, domestically, what effect do you think these events will have on uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's government? Do you think he'll be able to rally the support of his people? Uh, against the one common enemy, or do you think these events will be what the decisive factor to topple his I government? I think right now the people will rally behind the government because either people are traumatized. This is the worst attack that has happened, not on just on people of Israel, but I can't think of a worse attack that's happened anywhere, frankly. You know, with mothers and grandmothers and babies are abducted. You know, there are fathers sitting in their homes and, and uh, they're unable to get to their families. Yeah. So it's quite, uh, quite, quite serious. Uh, so I think for now, the, both Israeli opposition, the military, the government, they're all one thing. And I think they've got an aim in mind and they're together on it, that they want to go in and, and eliminate Hamas. I think the difference of opinion right now is, and very, and a few really, but fewer voices calling for measured response, but still there are voices calling for measured response in uh, Gaza. Uh, I mean, voices in Israel calling for measured response in Gaza. And uh, for now, I think they have a goal in mind that they want to decapitate Hamas. They want to decimate its capabilities, military and political. But as this con conflict develops and, and, and finally, whatever final shape and form it takes, that's when we know what, whether Netanyahu has managed to emerge as a, 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 as a still preferred leader, or is he going to be taken to task for such a huge catastrophe, you know, because this attack has happened on his watch. So I think it depends on how and what happens to this conflict in the end that will decide Netanyahu's fate. As we know, this is a conflict that has been dragging for decades now. Uh, do you see that we have arrived at this position now because of um, failed diplomacy and foreign policy? I think it depends on how you describe this situation or this position. I think if you mean has Hamas's attack happened because diplomacy failed, uh, no. I think the kind of barbarity they've displayed, they would have, that, that has nothing to do with, that is so specific and the attack was so barbaric, it has, and I want to be very clear, that that has nothing to do with the conflict failing. Not to the specific attack, but the fact that uh, peace has never been really brokered between the, the two parties. The general situation that we're in, the general situation of, uh, of uh, conflict or the absence of peace or the absence of resolution, which keeps these two people, these, the, 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 you know, at, 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 in, in this atmosphere of uh, hate, 
and anger. This is certainly because the conflict has not been resolved and it has, has to be, should be taken seriously by all actors, including the Palestinians, but most definitely the Israelis. Netanyahu's government is, is the most far-right government, I think, ever in Israel, and that is quite dangerous. And uh, they have not been forthcoming when it comes to peace talks. And they've been, you know, wanting to do even less than previous administrations perhaps have. That's dangerous. But also, you know, for the U.S., in the sense, the idea that you can have Israel make peace with Arab neighbors in the form of Abraham Accords. You know, in 2020, Israel signed peace with the UAE, with the Bahrain, Morocco. Uh, and now the talks were going on with Saudi. I think, I think you can't... I think that doesn't resolve the conflict. So as long as the aspirations of Palestinian people are not taken into account, as long as there is not a just, a resolution that's not broadly just, you know, there has to be a lot of pragmatism involved in any peace solution you come to. And it, it, both sides will have to concede, both sides will have to give in. Um, neither side is going to have everything they want. But as long as you, you, you don't have that, and as long as the world is not pushing you to actually form peace, and in that sense it is a failure of primarily American foreign policy, then you can't, uh, uh, you know, it's always going to be uh, unrest. It's always going to be tense. And then, you know, you have a, um, just a really unhappy people and really, a, a lot of sadness, a, a whole lot of sadness. Every time I've been there, I've just felt so much anger and hate and sadness. And what hope remains for peace now? And who do you see could be, could be an honest mediator in this conflict? We spoke about different actors, different countries. Uh, we didn't mention the United Nations, of course, but, for example, could they be considered um, a mediator in this I conflict? I think the problem with the UN always is that it sort of has no teeth. So, you know, the UN always is... Then there, there are allegations against, oh, is UN controlled by this country or that country? And it doesn't have any teeth. It doesn't sort of come through. Could it be... Could, could, could China, maybe China would want to do that. Yeah, I don't know whether it will. Uh, could it be, I, I think, I still think that Americans have uh, more say in these affairs. Under Trump, they were not an honest broker um, because of Trump's excessive ideas. His vision was a bit too far uh, pro-Israel in the sense that he didn't want to give, you know, concede anything for Palestinians. So that didn't work. America was not an honest broker. But is it now? I think it possibly could be, and because of its influence already, maybe it will be, in the end, the only one. Or could it be, you know, uh, um, a Scandinavian country? Could it be a Norway? Could it be a country that has nothing to do and has with the conflict but has enough credibility? Could it be the EU? Um, I think these are all open ideas, right? And yes, it could be someone else, but I constantly fear that because... I don't fear, but I think, I think I would like to retract that. I, I, I think that it will still, in the end, the broker will be America. Because as long as they're not on board, it perhaps won't count a resolution between. I think the Palestinians would need American assurances. And I think the Israelis would need American assurances. And in that sense, do you see that there is a, that the clock is ticking? Of course, we have uh, in more or less a year time um, elections for the for the president yeah. of the United States. Do you see in that sense that the clock might be ticking for uh, 
peace process in uh, between Israel and Palestine before a new administration comes into the White House? I think foreign policy is an important uh, card that American presidents or candidates can use before elections. That's true. And uh, it was not looking very good for President Biden because the Ukraine war is still going on and the Ukraine counteroffensive did not actually achieve that much. In fact, quite little from what I've learned. And that conflict is going to go on. So, you know, that was not a victory for an American president going into elections. Now that now he has an opportunity to show himself as, as, as a strong American president, which he is doing right now. And this is uh, this could be electorally beneficial for him. But I don't think his electoral success depends on a peace uh, on, on, on peace between Israel and Palestine, on a, on, a, on, on a resolution of the conflict, but much more on how he handles the, the, the war, the, the clashes, that's not called clashes, the war right now, how he, he ha is, he, in, in a way has to, because of uh, pro-Israeli population in the US, uh, he has to be supportive of Israel. He is doing that. But in the end, he also has to crack a balance. He has to find a balance um, on the Palestinian issue, which I think very slowly they're, they're trying to achieve in the sense, you know, when they're talking about uh, humanitarian corridors or safe spaces for people of Gaza. They're not saying, asking, they're not asking Israel to not bomb Gaza. They're just saying that don't, that restrain yourself and make sure that, you know, civilians have somewhere safe to be. So this will electorally boost his popularity, Biden's.